So you got a whole uh, alpha team now, don't you? But, you? but you have a wealth of knowledge that is beneficial to a lot of people, and it, we can move the needle. How often do you hear a hunting podcast? We talked about this. People relate to this. everybody, Jerry here with Farrowcast, letting you know that time is running out on our exclusive offer with Sheep Feet. Head on over to SheepFeetOutdoors.com, enter in the code KAFARU20 to save yourself 20% off your next order of Sheep Feet. Again, that is KAFARU, the number 2, followed by the number 0, at SheepFeetOutdoors.com and save yourself 20%. Now here is the podcast. Welcome to Kafaru Cast, everyone. It's uh, Thursday, the seventh, uh, I guess, and uh, I just got back from the the uh, Kafaru World Headquarters, which is still not open yet. But we're getting close to shipping, so please stop pestering me about that. We're getting close. Um, but as a, a, as of late, uh, as most people know, I'm I'm going to uh, shoot all the ASAs next year as well as Coleman this year, and with that. You know, I've gotten a lot more questions, things like that on, um, you know, tournament bows, different setups, as well as hunting rigs and the normal stuff. So um, one guy I wanted to get on here that I follow along with on social media is pretty successful uh, in the pro division uh, was Chris Hacker. So, Chris, thanks for thanks for coming on board. Thank you for having me on board. It's, it's an honor to be on here. Oh, well, we'll see if you still think that when we're done, but I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> uh, so you, you, um, you do fairly, uh, fairly well, you know, I follow along and, uh, you know, I watch sometimes like on YouTube, they'll have the competition archery media, you know, shoot down rounds and things like that. Yeah. Uh, tell everybody a little bit about like your history with archery, um, you know, where you're at now, some of the different tournaments where you, you know, placed in the top three or one, things like that. Yeah, man, I guess my history of archery goes all the way back to being a kid. Uh, my parents bought me my first bow when I was four years old. It was a little bear compound, you know, one of those that didn't really fit, but you just grip that thing, shoot it, and, uh, you know, have a lot of fun just flinging arrows. So I, I did that for a few years, and then I guess uh, around the age of 11, my dad bought me a Browning Micro Midas, and that's kind of when I got started bow hunting. Um Kind of got started there, shooting in the backyard, shooting with my dad. Um, I can remember getting my first shot at a deer with that bow. It was kind of a funny story. Um, I didn't have a tree stand at that time, and you know, no cell phones back then. So my dad, you know, set me at the base of this tree, and he's like, "Man, if you hear me shoot, you know, bows were loud back then." <laughs> Anyhow, um, are you still there? Yep, I'm still here. Don't worry about that. I'm I'm uh oh, okay. I'm okay. laughing at the Browning <laughs> Micro Midas because I had one of those. So you've aged yourself. Oh, yeah. So I, I know how old you are. But go ahead. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just turned forty. So anyhow, Browning Micro Midas. I think I was eleven years old. So you know, this is back in the early nineties. So my dad, you know, I'm sitting over there. I hear him shoot. So I give him about ten minutes, and I start walking over there. Well, this deer stands up out in front of me. Hit it in the liver. Well, dude, I had no concept of yardage or anything like that. And I didn't see my dad in the tree, and he's, like, trying to get my attention, and he's watching me from the tree. And, you know, like, I clip on my true fire crack shot release. I have one pin set for 20 yards. And, you know, I just try to Kentucky wind it, dude, and I pull back, aim at that deer, just hold the pin over its back, no concept. You know, he's farther than 20 yards. I shoot, I don't get anywhere close to that thing. And that, that was, like, the first shot I ever had at a deer, you know, bow hunting. My dad got to witness it, you know, 
it's just an awesome story you know, hunting with him. He still brings it up and gives me a hard time about it to this day. But uh, that's kind of where I got started there, bow hunting. Um, that passion has just grown over the years. Um, I got into shooting competitive archery around the age of 14, shooting local events. Um, I guess my dad created a monster, you know, at, at that point. Um, I think first year I drug him around to around 45 local tournaments that year. Um, every weekend, man, we were shooting a bow somewhere. And uh, I think I shot my first national event somewhere around 96, 97. Cabela's used to have a tour uh, kind of over there with Oklahoma, Texas, some up in Nebraska, kind of more this direction versus ASA and IBO stuff. Um, that was the start of my, I guess, national competitive archery. Um, 99, I did win a national championship, NFAA, unmarked 3D national championship they used to have up in Blue Springs, Missouri. And uh, I want to say 2000 was the first year I got to shoot an ASA event. Um, shooting in young adult, basically shooting against some of the same guys I shoot against now, but got to shoot that whole circuit there. Uh, Nathan Brooks lives pretty close to me. And at that time, I mean, we were starting to become friends. So he loaded me up and drug me around that year, shooting some of the tournaments, um, rode with some other guys. But that created a passion right there. And at that point, you know, I, I knew one day I wanted to compete in the pro class. Um, you know, kind of, Working my way up through the ranks, uh, you know, life happens. I had a kid at 19, so my first year of semi-pro, I didn't get to shoot the full circuit, shot a couple of tournaments, and that's kind of how it was for the first couple of years, shooting semi-pro. And then uh, 2004, I was able to shoot the full circuit uh, of ASA and semi-pro, one out, and then went into the pro class in 2005. So that's kind of kind of my background in a short summary of you know, getting a bow in my hand, starting bow hunting, and then moving along into tournament archery. Gotcha. Well, with the, I remember I shot, um, I shot the, uh, uh, the Cabela's cause they had one in like, uh, Tucson, Arizona. And then, uh, yeah, there was one in Lincoln, Nebraska. I can't, man, I can't remember. There yeah. was one. I shot the world championship in Nebraska in yeah. 2000. Yeah. I might've been there for that one. And it was, uh, about a hundred degrees and a hundred percent humidity. You're, well, of course, where oh, you're at, you're used to that. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was still miserable. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> well, and, uh, I, I remember that tournament that, that summer. It was hot. Um, just miserable. I was shooting. Well, that's the first time I shot with Dan McCarthy, uh, back before he knew anything really about archery and was, you know, winning absolutely everything. But uh, that, that's the first time we met, and we've become good friends, you know, from that point forward. Yeah, Dan's Dan's a good dude. I've had him on the podcast a couple times, I think. In fact, it's funny, um, you know, um, I haven't shot, uh, and I don't know how much you even follow along with what I do, but I, I kind of made a decision early in the 2000s that financially, like you said, life happens, um, hunting or tournament archery. And at that time, I was really big into tournament archery and decided to go hunting. Well, coming back into it now, yeah. you know, back then I shot like a 42 millimeter inch and five eighths inch and a half scope four power, no clarifier. Well, now technology is like, I went to order a scope and I'm oh. like, Hmm, there's a lot here. So luckily for me, <laughs> yeah. you know, I have multiple, a lot of options. <laughs> it will asking all of you guys, your opinions on what I should get. So like I called, uh, you know, called McCarthy. I'm starting to tell him what I'm going to do. He's like, let me stop you right there. This is what you need. And he tells me, you know, a 35 yeah. millimeter. And I'm like, man, I kind of get housing claustrophobia and peep claustrophobia. And, nope. This is what you need, whatever. And then I call Gillingham. Nope. That's not what I would suggest. 
this is what you need. And I'm like, all right. So then I talked to Levi. Levi's like, you know, this is what I would suggest. All three, well, Gillingham and Levi are pretty close. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to go happy medium because, um, you know, there's a big difference between being able to shoot. A lot of people can shoot. And then the tournament side of things, having the stabilizers and the scopes and things like that, and then holding your crap together, right? So with all of well, and with all of that, obviously you've been able to do that. Um, as time has gone on, would you say that a lot of that was just getting more comfortable or were you naturally pretty good under the trigger, under pressure? Man, I think I came out, you know, my first tournament in the pro division. Um, and I went out, made the shoot off the first tournament, you know, that I competed as a pro. Uh, one thing and one mistake that I made back then is after that, dude, I got sponsorships. I started getting product thrown my way and I changed everything, you know, like an idiot. It's like, you know, I guess experience for me is what's going to help me get, you know, better as time goes on. But, you know, back then I think I had the talent. I could handle it because I was young, but then just making those mistakes, changing equipment, changing setups. And then, you know, I fell behind and then you lose confidence there for a couple of years because you're kind of chasing your tail, trying to find a setup that works for you again. So that's one thing, like I, I try to tell some of these younger pros and they come in, you know, come in, believe you can beat everybody. If you start getting sponsorships, don't change what you got. Test that stuff, you know, behind the scenes before you take it to an event. Um, but I think one big thing for me, as far as in the unknown yardage, uh, back in 2015, I decided to buy the targets. It was time, you know, I told my wife, I said, I want to move forward competing in archery. I need to buy targets. I need to have my own range. I've got to put the time and the effort in so I can compete with these guys. So that, that was a big factor for me. Um, and then just having a very supportive, you know, family that is, has my back and, you know, she supports me and pushes me to, you know, do my best at every event. So just, I think, building a good life, spending the money, getting the targets, and then just uh, finding, you know, get, get in the right mindset. Um, to me, being under pressure, being in a shoot-off, being in those situations, that's a, that's a good thing. And I think sometimes you get nervous. You're thinking, you know, man, I'm not going to perform or I'm not going to make this shot. But, man, it's a good thing to be out there. It's a good thing to be in that situation. I've been through some pretty bad stuff in my life here, you know, in the last year or so, just you know, losing some family members and stuff. And, and that, that stuff hurts. That stuff's bad. So I kind of relate when I get, go into tournaments and stuff, man, that's a good thing. I'm in a good place. You know, this is where I belong. It's just, this is fun. Even if I get a little bit nervous, I think that mindset helps me perform in those situations. No, that makes sense. And you kind of, that's what I'm, uh, when, uh, it'll be interesting as far as, uh, you know, holding, um, basically I'm going to see if I fall in my face. Cause I obviously, you know, I can, I can perform very well with animals in front of me. <laughs> can I do that? You know, cause yep. it's been a minute and, and, and don't get me wrong. I haven't shot it. I've shot tournaments obviously in between, but nothing at this level. So it's good to get guys like yourself well, and mean, some of the others on here, you know? Oh yeah. Well, and that's the thing, like so many of us do things so differently. Tim does everything more different than everybody out there. You know, I'm going to do stuff a little bit different than McCarthy, you know, a little bit different than Levi. Archery is a very individual sport. So I think what you've done as far as reaching out, you know, talking to me, talking to Tim, talking to Kyle, talk to everybody and you kind of get what they're doing and then you can maybe piece together what's going to work for you. Um, Archery is a very, you know, individual sport. You know, there's no way I could shoot four stabilizers like Gillingham or or that I would, (laughs) even if I could. 
Yeah. But uh, what you're doing, you know, you'll be able to piece together all this knowledge that you're getting from everybody to what's going to work for you and what's going to shoot great for you. Obviously, I know you more as a traditional guy. Um, A friend of mine here in town, actually, Lee Balance, I think you've talked to him a little bit back and forth about tuning some bows. He came in one day and told me he reached out to you and you had got back to him about, you know, tuning his trad bow and what would shoot the best. You know, that's kind of how I guess got acquainted with your name and then I started following you on social media and I saw you pick up a compound. Man, you're talking about pump. I was excited to see that, see, see your return to the ASA stuff. Yeah, It'll it's be awesome having you out there. It's good that uh, I do, thank God, I know how to tune really well. I know archery, right? Like I know fletching and tuning and helical offset, like the whole, you know, I, I make multiple sets of arrows with different fletching configurations and screw around with point weight. I, thank God I know that, right? That's easy. When I went to buy yeah. a scope, uh, good God, <laughs> I was like, okay, things have changed. Like I, I hopped on, I looked at Bowfinger, my buddy, uh, Tony Clems, a buddy that been a year uh, friend for a couple decades. Yeah. He's a Bowfinger guy. I looked at those, some of the other options. And then I had a B3 on there and you know, uh, they don't make lenses really for that, that setup. And so I, I kept the B3 site, but I'm like, okay, I used to shoot shrewd. So I know them. Yeah. I thought I knew them. I got on their website and I was like, wow, things are a little different. Um, and then I've never had to, I'm getting up in age, I'm 45. So I'm like, all right, do I need a clarifier? I I don't think I need one. So I ended up ordering a bunch of stuff from, from them, but, uh, really it wasn't like the bow setup, like that stuff I knew, but when it like light kits, they didn't have those mother of God, there's like five light kits. Everybody's like, you need a Zebros. Nope. You need an LP. Nope. You need a slight. Like, uh, you know what I know is I need a light. (laughs) Yeah. What kind of give everybody your setup from top to bottom for, you know, standard 3d rig and then your standard hunting rig and, and be detailed. We get a lot of questions on that. So like all the way down to your fletching configurations, point weight, stuff like that. Okay. So, Yes, I'll start with my target to my current ASA setup right now. Hoyt Invicta, uh, I'm running 65 pounds on it. I'm shooting Easton Superdrive 25 with 120 grain point in the front of it. I'm a biter hunter knock 19.2. Um, shooting it at 293 feet per second. I actually just shot a physical chronograph a little bit ago. I made some changes after the last tournament, but um, 30 inch B stinger bar on the front with 10 ounces. I'm running a 12 inch B stinger on the back with 16 ounces. Um, gas bow springs, uh, then the, I'm running a B3, exact 3D sight, and I'm running a bowfinger scope with a full-powered lens. I'm Hansky Peep with a A-plus, A-clarifier, sorry. I was thinking my other bow, um, my backup bow, I've been experimenting a little bit stronger power lens. Um, then AAA, quick show, uh, quick disconnect, blade rest. Um, that's kind of a ASA setup. Basically, everything from that transfers over to me for indoors or anything like that. Arrows will obviously change. I'm running an AAE 2.6 hybrid vein on my arrows. I've always liked that vein. I like that size vein. I'm shooting 23s for IBO, shooting it for ASA. Um, I'll run that vein even on a 27 size arrow for indoors. Um, you know, you're talking about scope options and stuff like that. Uh, I'll touch base on that a little bit. I used to shoot with no lens for several years. Now, no lens, 10,000 spin, no light kit or anything like that. So for me, as I've gotten older, I don't know, my eyes, I go to eye doctor, they're still good, but man, I just feel like I need to, you know, at least a full power lens, run a clarifier. 
I can see things so much better. I can see arrows and targets in dark situations. A lot of times I can see the lines. It helps me area aim better on tough targets. So, you know, finding that right setup, it's going to be clear where you don't lose, you know, your pin, and then you can still see the target really well. That's that's huge. Um, I don't run a lot of stabilizer weight, so I know some people may bring that up. You know, I'm running you know, 10 ounces on the front of that 30-inch bar and you know, 16 on the back. I've shot light basically my whole life. That's one thing. Back in the day, you probably remember, nobody shot a bunch of stabilizer weight. That's kind of really come on the last few years. Um, for me, that's what works. If you can hold the weight up, I think that, you know, shoot it, put it on there, it will work awesome for you. But for me, just where I'm at, a lighter setup works a little bit better. Um, you know, I, I won a tournament in 2016 running a 27-inch B-Stinger on a Chill-X with two ounces on the front and a 15-inch bar with eight ounces on the back. Those were probably one of the best aiming bows that I've ever shot. Just set right in the dot, and it, it aimed good. It was forgiving. So you know, that worked out well. Um, I'm shooting SVX cams on the Hoyt. I like that cam. I like that aggressive draw cycle. I like the shorter valley on the back end. I like more holding weight. That's kind of what I've always shot over the years. 80% let off feels good to me, but it doesn't seem to be as forgiving. Um, on the, I guess the grip on the Hoyt, that's one thing I get asked about a lot, you know, what, what grip I'm running. I'm running just the standard factory plate. I love that Hoyt grip. That's the Hoyt grip that I've shot back, you know, in 2008, 2009, 2010. So I'm, I'm not going to change anything there. That, that, that feels awesome. I mean, I love that, that grip. That's probably one of the best features on a Hoyt. Um, as far as I'm concerned, um, I guess that pretty well covers my setup on, on an NSA stuff, uh, hunting bows. I'm going to run an RX seven this year, just, the, you know, the standard 30 inch model axis, four millimeter weighs about 440 grains. Uh, I'm going to run a hundred grain G five mega meat. I love big mechanicals. Always had a great, great success with them over the years. Shot a kill zone max for several years. I really like this, you know, G five mega meat. Uh, for that one, I run a two inch AAE hybrid, uh, vein, kind of similar to a blazer in the design and the look of it. Um, shoot about 290 feet per second off that setup. I don't run a lot of stabilizer weight on that setup either. A lot of guys run sidebars and all that. For the type of hunting I do, especially around here, hunting whitetails out tree stands, I don't feel the need to have a sidebar, a bunch of stabilizer weight. Maybe if I went out west, I might want to add that stuff just for the longer distance. And, you know, you know how it is shooting out west. I guess you you probably set up like that, don't you? Sidebars, yep. all I, that for long-range stuff. Yeah, yeah, I do. Um you know, yep. talk, talking about that a little bit, um, you know, with, um, you know, the, the transition from like, uh, you know, east, east to west, there's kind of a, uh, I don't want to, like a pre preconceived notion, like when you're in a tree stand, you have a short bow, when you head out west, you got to have sidebars, yeah. and you know, and I don't change, like, the only thing I change, I shoot equivalizer. I just started a few months ago, which is, um, you know, fine spot and stock, but in a blind sucks. But like, I don't really change my setup. I like, think that would be awesome. Oh, that equivalizer. Yeah, I think that would be awesome. I haven't run one, but I do like that concept. Well, I mean, a guy, you know, yeah, I, I try not to get too wrapped up in this cause I, I do get to hunt a lot. Um, like more than any, anyone I know. And, so I get a, you know, I, it's, you know, no, 
Dan Evans is not paying me to shoot a quiverizer or he'd have a heart attack because I just put a different sight than his option on one of my bows, right? I just like it and that's what I use. But I don't change from tree stand hunting to antelope hunting to elk hunting. I mean, I shoot a about where you're at, a little bit slower, but you know, I'm a 280 to 290 guy, 270 280 guy, you know, a 460 to 490 yeah. arrow guy. I like 280 feet per second because back in the Uh-oh. day, that's what I got used to. Man, for me, that's the, like the perfect hunting speed. It shoots fixed blades really well if you want to run fixed blades. It shoots mechanical well. It's forgiving. Uh, I have experimented with some stuff, you know, 315, 320 range. And, man, for hunting, I just I didn't get along with it. I didn't like it. It seemed really unforgiving. Yeah, 100%. And, I mean, the same goes the other way. You get a lot of these Ashby guys, you know, firing a crazy heavy arrow. A lot of it's in theory, you know, like – yeah. Um, you know, don't get me wrong. Like, uh, if you're having trouble tuning a 300 uh, foot per second arrow and you go to a 250 uh, foot per second arrow, that slower arrow is going to be easier to tune, especially a fixed blade. The problem is, in theory, uh, is... Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's just, you know, normal, right? I mean, that's common sense. But the thing is, is there's a happy medium. And so I've got you, you know, let's say I'm guiding you. And, uh, you know, you've got an animal and I, um, you know, you're obviously a very capable archer, you know, uh, uh, in the, in the top high percentile. So, you know what you're doing, but if I range a, a sheep or a mule deer at 38 and it, it goes out a few yards, you are capable enough to make a yardage assessment, hold the pen high or whatever. But when you're shooting a 240, 50 foot per second bow, that gap is a lot bigger and, you might yeah, need to I mean, be. There's no forgiveness on yardage at that speed. Right. So, and so I'm a happy medium guy. And it sounds like you are too. Like have decent speed, but not crazy speed. Shoot decent yeah. poundage, but don't overbow yeah, yourself, I'm... you know? Yeah. And I mean, I see so many bow hunters coming in. You know, I run a shop here in Fort Smith, uh, Arkansas, where I'm from. But I see so many guys come in. They want to get that 700, 800 grain arrow set up. And, all these guys, you know, they're 27, 27 and a half inch draw shooting 60 pounds. Man, it kills their speed. It takes them down to you know, 220 feet per second, 230 feet per second. I'm glad you touched base on that because I think so many bow hunters get wrapped up into thinking that that heavy arrow thing is really, really good. But I, I, me personally, I don't think it is. I think that you're with me on that. Happy medium, good moderate weight arrow, keep you a good speed, get your speed up there in that 270 to 290 range. And then you'll have a great hunting setup that would kill anything in North America. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And and I try not to get into these battles. Well, I just don't. I don't get on forums. In fact, I've been kicked off a couple from talking crap, like on high momentum <laughs> stuff. Because, you know, the thing is, is like, uh, yeah. you know, if you need to, you want to become a long distance runner. I'm going to talk to a guy that's run a lot of ultra marathons. I want to be a power lifter. I'm going to talk to a guy that's run won a lot of competitions in powerlifting. Uh, yeah, you know, I want to f- figure out what's most lethal for a tournament bow. I'm going to talk to some guys that have won tournaments and the same thing with hunting. And I, yeah. I, 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 and others have have like you go across the board, you talk to some of the most lethal hunters around their setup, their arrow setups are all pretty close to the same, um, you know, within reason. And, and there's something to be said for that. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I look at like Joe Maxfield and Darren Collins and guys that I know that have, you know, hunted, you know, kind of across all of North America, and they run the same type of stuff that, that, you know, me and you are running. They're not getting into that heavy arrow kick and all that, and those guys are very, very successful hunters. And that's kind of what I, I'm like you, if I'm going to look at something, I'm going to talk to the 
the best hunters. So those guys, so I, I listen to what they say. Uh, we're kind of all on the same page. And I don't know, that heavy arrow trend, I think it has slowed down a little bit just from what I've seen you know, at, at the store, and I kind of hope it does because I've had guys come in, man, they're wanting to go out west and hunt. They're wanting to set up this 800-grain arrow to go out west and hunt elk. And I'm like, man, what if that elk, you know, what if he is 40 yards, you ranged him, but then like you said, what if he runs out to 50 or 52, 53, and you've got to make that adjustment? Man, with that slow setup, you're not going to be able to make that adjustment just and wing it at, at that point. No, you know, and, and that's you're so right. slow. Better hope that it, you better hope that it's an open shot if you're going to take one like that just because of the tra- you know, trajectory. You may hit any limb or anything that's hanging in the way. Yeah, and it's again, it's when it's applied compared to in theory. Like in theory, it makes sense, but in when you apply it, it doesn't make nearly as much sense. And you know, I try to do this not no, to get not into a, a you know a big shit talking competition. I try to do it to inform, right? Like, hey, I want you to be as successful as you can be when you're out there. And you know, I'll have guys. And if you run a pro shop, you get it. Like, I'll have guys come in, man. I'm going to shoot a 500 grain arrow, 30 inch draw. Can I shoot a mechanical at an elk? I'm like. You can shoot a mechanical at anything you want with that setup. Anything. Yeah. And and I'm like, Absolutely. you know, maybe not African dangerous game, right? But anything in North America. Well, I read on Archery Talk, yeah. and like the moment I hear Archery Talk, I start to get the twi- like twitches. I'm like, well, yeah, <laughs> uh, you know. And so, you know, the thing that that I think, you know, forgiveness of the bow and accuracy. It doesn't matter what your arrows is. If yep. you hit an elk in the knuckle, you're not going through. And then I'll hear, well, a guy from whatever. Sh-. Yeah, I'm like, okay, let's pick the one time it worked, right? Like, let's be realistic. Whitetail hunting, which you do a lot of, how often do you hear of a shoulder shot compared to a gut shot? The guts are a lot bigger. Yeah, uh, well, I hear all of it. But I hear so many people actually want to shoot them right in the shoulders with their bow. Makes no sense to me why you want to aim at the shoulders on a deer. You're taking your kill zone, you're shrinking it way down. You can come back off that you know, shoulder area, inch and a half, two inches, and you just increased your kill zone by a tremendous amount, and margin of error just went way down. So I don't know the shoulder shots. I hear about that a lot. Didn't get any penetration because I hit it right square in the shoulder. You know, you're probably aiming too far forward to begin with. Yeah, and you know, I aim up in yeah. that. I aim up in that pocket of the the shoulder, but I don't yeah. aim into the shoulder and. No, you aim probably about where I do. You come back just a little bit down in that pocket, and your kill zone's a lot bigger right there than it is you come over and get right in the shoulder. Well, it's just a mathematical equation at that point. Like, okay, take the size of the lungs yeah. and take where you're going to hit shit you can't go through on the shoulder. You split that in half and call her good. Yeah. Right? Like, that's kind of you know, kind yeah. of the way I look at it. And so... <laughs> When you're purposefully setting up to shoot it in the shoulder knuckle, your bow, in hopes you might make it through it, you've canceled about 80% of the rest of the body out, right? Like, you got a lot better. Well, I'm going to shoot a single bevel fixed blade in case I hit it in the shoulder. I'm like, well, what if you hit it in the stomach? You're going to wish you wanted a two-inch mechanical, I can promise you, because. Yeah, no, you're you're 100% 100 accurate with that statement. You know, you shoot a deer in the guts with a single bevel broadhead. Good luck. You might find if you're a really good tracker, but you know that's going to be a tough one. Well, and, and you know, since you obviously hunt, shoot tournaments, and got a pro shop, I mean, what's going out the door? Like, what are some? I guess it's a multi. Uh, you know, I guess a large question. 
what are some of the crazier questions you get where, you know, maybe get some info out there for guys to, to get them on the straight and narrow one. And then two, what are you sending guys out the door with mostly for the whitetail woods? Like, uh, you know, when I say that meaning broadheads, like, you know, you said the, the dead meat, mega yeah. meat, you know, like T-Bone and I have Man, talked we about. Sell a little so. bit of everything. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, we, we sell a little bit of everything broadhead wise. Um, you know, obviously rage has been a huge player for several years, especially, in this area, you know, it really took off. Um, we kind of sell everything. We sell Magnus, Steel Force, you know, for fixed plate stuff, Thunderheads. I mean, you, you name it, you still sell Thunderheads, believe it or not, as long as they've been around. But overall, the vast majority of what we push out the door is, is mechanical broadheads, uh, rear deploy stuff, two inch cut, two and three eighths inch cut, uh, fixed blades. You know, a lot of people, we sell a ton of Magnus. A lot of people that are shooting those. You know, fixed blade heads that they like that magnet style head. Um, general setup for us, like most popular setup, I would say that goes out the door would probably be a, a rear deploy two inch head on a gold tip XT Hunter arrow. Uh, gold tip's been huge in this area for a long time. Uh, just a lot of old timers, I guess they've been shooting gold tip, you know, since day one. You know, when the gold tip first you know, went out, the, out of the bow hunter here in town, uh, the old archery shop that was here in the 90s. But uh, that's kind of a common setup. Around a 400 grain arrow to 450 grain arrow with you know a good mechanical broadhead for whitetails. Uh, we do sell a lot of eastern axes too, you know, and that gets you kind of that midweight range that I like. Uh, that, I would say that's probably our second best selling arrow would be the eastern axis, and then you know, people couple you know those with the you know rear deploy mechanical. Um, I don't know if you've ever shot that NAP kill zone. We have sold a ton of those the last few years. Um, especially before Rage came out with the no collar and they were running collars, people loved the kill zone style because they didn't have to mess with that collar or that O-ring on that head. Uh, yeah, but I shot kill I zones mechanical for a dom- while. They dominate our business. I mean, for whitetails, but we're not shooting very large whitetails, I guess. A, a mature buck on the hoof here might weigh 200 pounds, 220 pounds, you know, could address 160, 170 pounds. So a decent-sized deer, but, you know, a rear deploy mechanical broadhead's going to zip right through it yeah and i shot kill zones i actually shot a elk which i've been bashed it was at full bugle on a frontal at a pretty good distance with a kill zone um and then uh recently i shoot severs now i've had real good luck with those um i shot some of those mega meats um uh, t-bone and i we bullshit back and forth quite a bit and uh you know i think that um what people need to um you know, think about, and it sounds like you and I are pretty much on the same page. Like when you start talking about arrows, you know, so you and I, back, you know, I'm a little bit older than you, but back in the day, a two, four, six was a, uh, air quotation micro, like that was a smaller oh, shaft. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so now yeah. I, 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 and I will say components for a two, four, six are easier. Uh, two Oh four, not quite as easy, but micro components are a little bit of a pain in the butt at times, um, for some people. And, and, you know, I'll have guys, uh, I can't, you know, I shoot, I shoot black Eagle. Um, and, uh, you know, but I'm, I'm also, you know, I'm, I'm all about good arrows. So I, you know, recommend good ones. I can't one time say I've seen on an animal that a micro was any different than a two, four, six for my setup. Now a different one might be different, meaning, you can do whatever yeah. test you want in the world inside, but I can zip a two, four, six through with a micro and not really tell a difference, but there is wind drift and drag and farther shots. You know, you get a lot of that going yeah. on. I, it, it sounds like though, like 
I, do you get guys that come in that want the crazy FOC setups too? We've run into a little bit of that. Um, that was kind of all when the ranch ferry got going real big. A lot of people started coming in wanting real heavy FOC, but still get that heavyweight arrow you know, overall. Um, I, I've seen that die off here in the last probably year and a half. The real heavy FOC stuff's kind of slowed down. Well, I think, and, and don't get me wrong, I've had the ranch ferry on. I'm sure he's a good enough guy. You have to take in mind with the ranch ferry, oh, yeah. he's only shot shit under a feet or eating corn, right? He's never peaked up over a ledge at 13,000 yeah. feet shooting a goat. He can talk all he wants about an, nope. elk, an elk arrow setup, but he's never killed an elk, right? So, nope. you know, you no, want that, That's what kind of, you, you saying that, that's what I've told people is if they set up that heavy arrow, I'm like, well, I, you know, I guess it's okay if you want to shoot hogs or and, and deer out of corn pile at 20 yards from their tree stand. But outside of that, I don't, I think you're going the wrong direction when you go extremely heavy. And, and I don't, I don't mean any negative connotation towards the ranch ferry, right? That's what's working for him in, in theory and what's works for him, uh, you know, under the feeder and, and whatever he does. And, and he has some good info, but I think what people really need to yep. really come to the conclusion of is the happy medium. You want good speed. You don't want extremely fast. You don't want extremely slow. I want a good point weight, but but it looks like what's your draw length? Um, twenty nine and a half. Yeah, so you and I are close, right? I can shoot. Um, I usually am in yeah. that one fifty to one seventy five up front with everything total. Meaning, you know, I got a one twenty five grain point, and I've usually got fifty grains of components. Yeah, that gets me around four seventy five. Pretty. You know, I'm not yeah. in that 115 to 120 up front, but I'm not the 250 up front. And what that gives me is a very accurate, very yeah. quiet setup at decent speed. Now, when you, you said you're looking at coming out elk hunting, is that correct? Uh, yeah, it'll probably be next year before I get to go out. Um, something kind of been on the bucket list. Never had the opportunity to go out there. And, you know, things are lining up. I think I can make it happen next season. I, I don't think I'll change anything arrow setup wise. If I go out there, I'll still just run the, that four millimeter axis and probably 100 grain. I probably run a, I might not shoot the mega meat. I may drop down to the dead meat just for an inch and a half cut. That may penetrate a little better for me, you know, on some long range stuff. But, you know, that same arrow weight run that 440, 450 grain setup. Only thing I might add, like I said, would be some, you know, sidebar and maybe a little longer front bar just to help me stabilize on some long shots if I have to take a long, you know, 50 plus yard shot. Yeah, and I, I think that that's, uh, you know, should be noted, like, um, especially, you know, obviously, again, like, you, you own a shop. If you're basing everything off of your last worst experience, it, it's almost like the military. They, they base the upcoming, um, you know, war on what happened on the last one, which is really bad. So, you know, let's convert this to backpack hunting. I try to go with a crazy ultra lightweight setup to save weight and then I get on the mountain I got bad weather I got this I got that I got a bad experience I got my butt kicked off the mountain so now my next trip I'm gonna have way too much crap well then I get my butt yep. kicked on uh, way too much crap because I got way too much heavy heavy gear and whatever and then somewhere in the middle of learning and you know you, you you're writing the book of archery for yourself for backpack hunting you figure out what you actually need which is again happy medium you know, you go out there and let's say you clip one in the shoulder and you're like, man, I might've made it through. You might add a little weight on your next go round and bump up 50 grains or you might not. Basing everything yeah. off of worst case scenario, I guess, as I'm leading up to is a bad, ex is going to end up with bad results. Um, 
in uh, uh, how many people come into your shop that have hit one in the shoulder and immediately don't they don't blame accuracy they blame their gear is that a common thing man you know people that come in the shop i don't know how many people blame a broadhead that's the thing like they hit it in the shoulder you know uh, they're blaming the rage they're blaming you know the the mechanical broadhead so they want to go to a fixed plate head and you know that's one thing i've said you know, 99% of the time, I want to say you probably need to look in the mirror and then it's on you for accuracy. You didn't make the shot, you know, you made a bad shot, you hit the animal where you shouldn't have, and the setup may have failed you, but it's actually on you because the next time you may shoot it in double lung, it's going to work perfectly. So don't change your setup, just work on yourself. Yeah, and I guess that's kind of my... You know, my, my point, you know, I, I hate to see people go over yeah. like micro minutia details of different things. And, and I've been called an a-hole several times by telling people like, you're worried about what stabilizer, you know, that your, your arrows are four grains different and a dozen arrows. And if you should run a 10 inch or 12 inch back bar, but you don't, haven't worked on your form and shot execution. So man, if you suck, don't worry about your stabilizer. I mean, yes, worry about yeah. it, but worry, worry yeah. about form, you know, worry about hitting what you're aiming at. And then you'll yeah. be good enough to assess what might be better or worse, you know, as far as a setup goes. Yeah. You, you, yeah. And you'll be able to, you know, break, you know, break down minute details that will make that extra little bit of difference, but you got to work on yourself. You know, that's one thing, you know, on the competitive side of it that I kind of transfer over to hunting is, man, I'm always trying to work on my shot, always trying to work on my execution work on my aim and you'll work on myself, you know, and then obviously I can experiment and, and try different things and I'll know really quick because I've been working on my shot excuse. I've been working on myself. I'll know really quick if something's going to work or not. Um, hey, you just take that same thing into my hunting setup. I, you know, I know if I'm executing my shot and everything good is really good. I'll know if this arrow setup's working. I'll know if the stabilizer setup on this hunting bow is working. Now, and you mentioned earlier your release. Now, and, and I, I honestly, I can't remember. Do you, are you shooting a hinge or are you shooting a thumb button or what for tournaments? Yeah, I, I shoot, currently I'm shooting a BG Pro hinge um, with a cold sear on it, no click. Um, that's just kind of where I've shot for several years. Now, I will say there's times that if I start to struggle shooting no click, I'll pick up a release with a click in it and just kind of train and, and, and change it up, trick my mind a little bit for a little while, and then I'll go back to the, the no click. Um, I like shooting a thumb button. Um, I shot a thumb button a couple of years ago. Uh, might have been the 2020, the COVID year. Um, I got to where I was hanging up on my hinge all the time. You know, not getting through it good, so I went to a button. Man, I was executing great with the button. Made the shoot off in Coleman with the button. Uh, shot the button in Foley. Shot good. Had a couple of yardage mistakes, but almost made the shoot off there. Um, then I went into Foley in 2021, shooting the button, and Dude, I was sitting there aiming on this target, and I tried to follow through before I fired the shot. So I was like, okay, it's time for the button to go back up. And since then, I've been shooting you know, a hinge with, with no click. So I think sometimes it's good to go back and forth with that stuff just to kind of help you out, help you maybe in the moment when you're struggling with your shot execution. But I currently, currently running the hinge no click. That, for me, over the years, that's what I've been the most consistent with and had my most success with. And I, and I get this question a lot. Now, keep in mind, on my end, I got a little bit of a t- target panic maybe 20 years ago, got got a handle on it, but I got, you know, I went from a wrist rocket to a hinge, and I've 
shot a hinge predominantly since, and I have hunted in every situation and have zero issue hunting. Uh, and I, I don't mind shooting a click. It's a quiet one. Like I don't have that, you know, every now and then you get one that maybe the, the guy was had a little bit too much to drink the night before. And the click is, you know, pretty aggressive, but <laughs> I, I've never had, um, yeah. an issue hunting with a hinge. What are your thoughts on that? Um, cause I get that question a lot and you know, they're listening to just me. So let's, let's hear your thoughts. So uh, I guess, you know, I'm a little bit different on that uh, with the hinge. I've never hunted with a hinge. I'll shoot a hinge all year long during tournament season. And then, you know, I'll go to a wrist release during hunting season. Um, for me, and you know, I, I hunted with a thumb trigger a little bit as well. And I went back to the wrist release because I don't know, you get in the rut out here, you get bucks chasing does. I don't know. For me, I can, if I have to send it, just punch the trigger you know, on a deer in a rough situation like that. I can hit right behind my pin with that index finger. So like with a thumb button, if I punch it, I'll impact a little bit high for some reason. You know, I guess I just hadn't spent the time to figure out why I'm hitting high when I punch with a thumb trigger. And I just, I don't want to have to dump a hinge or roll through a hinge really quick in that situation. Uh, obviously I think if I set up to hunt with a hinge, I'd have to shoot a click. That way I know where I was at on the release. If I could shoot it, you know, in a situation, you've got a buck chasing a doe and it's, you know, you've got two seconds to make the shot before he takes off. So for me, I mean, I, I like the wrist release, you know, hunting around here, hunting whitetails. I don't punch it in practice. I don't punch it nine times out of ten on deer, but if I have to, I can send it. So, and and, and I've, I've told people this, and I'd see, kind of get your feedback on if this is good advice. If uh, you're going to hunt with a, a, a wrist rocket and you're um, – and you are worried about maybe getting a little yippy on it. It's not a horrible idea whether you're at the trailhead or at camp or your house and going in and out whitetail hunting. Even if your hinge impacts a little different, take a few shots in the middle of the day with a hinge. I don't know. I don't know. Grab that hinge and shoot it. I, I agree with that. And, and I think people maybe, well, I think part of the problem people read too much. Um, I have zero issue going to hunt with a wrist rocket. I just haven't needed to. Meaning, well, I say needed to believe me. There's a couple of times in windy situations. I was like, okay, this was a bad decision, but other times that, that hinge with farther shots yeah. maybe carried me a little bit. Um, if I, I wouldn't have any issue, if I needed to go hunt with a wrist rocket and I would probably just occasionally fling yeah. a few arrows with a hinge, I would say by far a wrist rocket is a better option for hunting. If you can execute it yeah. correctly. <laughs> Yeah, I agree with you. And that's what I was going to touch on. Like, you got to make sure you can aim your bow. You can put your pin where you need it. You can settle it, and then you can squeeze that shot off. That's why I think I see a lot of people run into with the wrist release. They pull back. As soon as their pin gets close to where they're shooting or as soon as it crosses it, you know, they fire off on that movement. And that's that's not good. You fire on the movement, and your follow-through is probably going to be good, and your impact, you're going to miss. Yeah, and that's kind of what it's all for, you know, about when I explain to guys with me with the hinge. I haven't, I shot one elk um, where it clicked and it stopped and it actually helped me because it, it stopped and then I killed it. And then I had to shoot one elk or I didn't shoot one elk where it was moving. And you know how it goes with a hinge. Like you say you get hung up on it, right? Well, if you're mentally controlled yeah. enough to not rip it off, like I'm sitting here pulling, waiting for it to go as this elk's walking slowly and it just didn't go off and I didn't, I didn't kill the elk. 
well, why wouldn't you switch? Well, yeah. the next elk I shot was a very technical 55-yard shot that I might not have made with wrist rocket because I don't shoot it as well. So it's all of a pros yeah. and cons, uh, it, plus and minus thing. Yeah. You know, I don't know. A lot of that's personal preference, I guess, on what release to shoot for, you know, for hunting and, you know, even going over into competition. But I don't know. I, you got to learn how to aim the bow. So that's one thing I was going to say, like, you're out in camp, so you feel like you're kind of getting you know, a little antsy on your trigger. Just do some aiming drills. You know, pull back, don't shoot, just aim at the target. Sell your pin on the spot, hold it there for a few seconds and let down. And do that for 15 or 20 minutes and just, you know, get your mind reset on seeing that pin sit on the spot and cover the spot that you're aiming at. So kind of transferring over to this, and we're we're almost 45 minutes, so I don't want to run too long, try to keep you under an hour, but transferring <laughs> over to that, you know, I blind bail or whatever you want to call it. Like, I don't pull my side off. Like, I literally, you know, it's windy outside. I'm bored. I don't know. Get away from the wife, whatever. I'm going to, I'll go in and just, you know, 10 feet. I'll just sit there and burn a hole in the dot with my, my pen and let down or burn a hole in the dot and just work on my execution of my release. Cause it gives, it's not false hope, right? You're just working on correct execution, which is way easier when your pen's not floating around. Yeah. Do you do that yeah. much? Oh, or is that exactly something? Right. I mean, do you still do that? I I, I will. Man, I, there's times that I'll, I'll still blind bell or, you know, pull back and just, you know, at five yards, you know, just in the shooting lane, like what we have at work, I'll just work on the execution just to feel that follow through and to feel that perfect shot. You know, and then you take you got to take that and you got to transfer it to when your pin's actually on a spot or it's moving around a little bit and shoot through it. But you know, sometimes I think it's good to go back to the basics on something like that and just blank belt, just work on that shot execution. That, that to me that that helps you out overall. Um, and then like I was talking about aiming drills, there's times where you know it's good to go out to 45 yards and just draw back and aim. Just let your bow sit on the spot, get comfortable with your pin in the middle, and then let down and don't even fire an arrow that evening. Uh, you know, obviously, I think if you're struggling with your execution and you're not holding it good, you're really hanging up, that's probably maybe a good time to go into some aiming drills and do that and then couple that with blank bailing. So so with that, um, you know, some of the different, like with blind bailing and, and just drawing back, holding the pen, one thing that I have suggested to people, I, I had to do this a lot with a recurve. I don't do it as much with a compound. Have somebody film you or film yourself and your shot execution at 5, 10 feet. Then go shoot at fifty and Dude, watch. I do that. <laughs> See what changes. I use, you know, we all, we all carry a camera in our pocket anymore. So, you know, I don't know how many times that I, I break out my iPhone to kind of, you know, study, study myself, you know, up close for draw length stuff like that. You know, kind of see how that shot execution looks, and then I'll go out and, like you said, go out to 45, 50 yards. I'll film myself shooting. I'll look for any inconsistencies um, that I have. And you know, trying to figure out how to fix it or how to work it or what I might need to change. So I mean, I, I'm constantly using my iPhone to, to analyze my shot and analyze my form. And, and not at like ten yards away. Like I have my wife; she'll dig in, like film my thumb, right? If I'm shooting a thumb button, film my oh, hand yeah. and my face, right? I don't want to yeah. see my body. And then another one might be different. The other one too, um, you will notice in air. I do with different people under pressure. Two, two, well, three primary things. One, they just punch the trigger. Two, more nose pressure, which can cause peep fade or things like that. And then the grip. Well, that's what I, I'm, glad you, I'm glad you're bringing that up because, you know, under pressure, that's one thing that I've battled over the years. It's too much face pressure. When I get under pressure, a lot of times I'll put my face pretty hard on the string. 
and it causes me less impact. Um, I'll tell you one thing that I've done to help offset that and that has actually helped me out a ton is the Bomar nose button. Since I put that on, that's really helped me be conscious of my face pressure and my, my head position, especially when I get in a, a, a pressure situation when I've got to hit a ring where I'm in the shoot-off. So, you know, filming yourself doing that type of stuff will, will help out. But, you know, just that one little button, that little piece of plastic you put on your screens helped me a ton. What's well, funny, it's almost like the 6'5 Creed Borer man bun of archery, like some guys... Uh, you know about that nose button get kind of it's not cool but like you know i put one on recently on one of my bows and it just wasn't needed in comparison to the other and one of the main reasons is the the draw length right the v of the draw length isn't crossing my face when i say the v right when it's at full draw where it crosses my nose and my face a little bit short string angle angle. yeah it's a little bit short of a bow it's a hunting bow and that string angle, I got to kind of dip my head into it because I'm a Cro-Magnum the way my face is built. I got to kind of lean forward into it a hair and for what's comfortable. Where a, like the, a 37-inch bow, that fits me about perfect. I'm drawn right in and I don't have as many issues as I do. Also, and I, I'm asking more than anything with this, when you're with a hunting setup, you always want your housing to be obviously the same size as your peep right you you don't want any daylight or whatever but larger housing larger peep can cause from my experience more peep fade or whatever you want to call it you can't hunt with you can't hunt with a small peep you can it's just gonna suck and so that nose button i feel you're right it's a reminder hey center that bitch up whatever yeah it's a reminder that it helps me stay centered on my peep that's something i've battled on my tournament setups over the years Staying center in my feet, you know, throughout the shot, and the nose button has helped me with that. You know, it's just a tool. You know, I guess it's no different than somebody that wants to shoot a kisser button. I wouldn't shoot a kisser button. And honestly, when the nose button first came out, I was like, yeah, I don't know about that thing. You know, then I got one, put it on there, and tried it. And I'm like, you know what? This works for me. So, you know, a lot of people out there, it's going to work for. And, you know, I run one on my hunting bow, like you said, the string angle on a lot of the hunting bows kind of feel like they're going to tuck your head. You can run that larger nose button, and you'll it fits really comfortable and then like you said it helps you stay center in your peep and that's all that's important all that comes into play especially in low light situations or shooting distance and you know out west hunting shooting at an elk or something at 100 yards you know being very centered in your peep that's that affects your impact if you're not dead center so and it's I, a tool i'm just can help you out I was going to say it's another tool in the toolbox. And, and, you know, I get a lot of Q and A's or guys will say, Hey man, uh, you know, throughout the course of the day, my tunes changing, I'm hitting right. I'm like, yeah, it doesn't really work that way. And, uh, you know, centers back up, you know, the next morning you're fading in your peat probably. That's one of the things I see. You get more comfortable as you shoot and you're probably relaxing, whether it be a release hand or something. And then you're, you're drifting out of your peat one way or another, is what I've noticed, and in, in yeah. that that button does help with that. Yeah, it does. No, so you know we've kind of covered a bunch of stuff here. Um, the uh, you kind of I guess just obviously is you know learn to shoot, learn your equipment, whatever. But for guys looking at getting into to tournaments right now, because I'm getting that question a lot, and I'm like, guys, I'm not the one to ask. Like I'm I'm just starting to shoot 3ds yeah. like, again. 
what would you suggest? Um, you know, hey, what class are you going to shoot? For me, I'm going to get made fun of mostly by Levi if I don't shoot at least known pro. Um, so I'm just going to suck it up and hope for the best. <laughs> so um, what would you suggest, you know, guys looking at getting into it? I mean, my one thing is just go and shoot your hunting bow and have fun and figure it out. But for guys that are serious about really want to take a whack at this thing, uh, what classes should they shoot? Some, some advice, I guess, for guys looking to hit the tournament trail. Yeah, man, you know, I guess there's a lot of variables that can go into that. Um, you know, one of them, I'll, I'll use my cousin here as an example. He's just starting to get into tournament archery. Um, he's just got his you know, bow set up, starting to shoot a little bit. So he's kind of an entry-level archer, but he's going to shoot an open setup. So for him, I told him, shoot known 40. Um, I think that'd be a great place for him to go. Don't get me wrong, anymore, at the ASA levels, all the classes are going to be tough. They're all going to be competitive. Um, one thing I would recommend: don't overclass yourself, or don't jump into a class that you're, you know, too quick. Um, you know, you you can say if, if he come into this and he's like, "Man, you know, I've bow hunted my whole life. I, I'm a pretty good shot with a bow," but then he's going to go ahead and jump right into knowing fifty. Well, he's probably going to get throttled, and you know, that might run him off at some point. So I, I would say look at the different classes because there's classes out there for everybody. You're going to shoot an open setup. You want to judge yardage. If you want to shoot, you know, your your hunting setup. There's classes out there for everybody. Just don't overclass yourself. Make sure you get in there with kind of the same caliber archers that that you can be competitive with. Gotcha. And then, um, you know, as far as like you know, some of the scores on the known pro and pro both are pretty like daunting or intimidating. The, the one thing is, um, you know, try not to let your last tournament reflect your next one. Is is something I would you know, try to suggest to people, meaning try to learn as much as you can while you're there and just fix whatever deficiencies you have. We've talked about a lot of those, like yeah. you learn your setup may not be up to par, meaning maybe you need to, you know, shoot a little bit bigger arrow or shoot a, you know, maybe your vision's not there or whatever, but kind of assess it, I guess, too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one thing too, take notes, take notes of what happened during the tournament, take notes of your round, you know, your point of impact, you know, just different things throughout the tournament that you can go back and look on after the event. And, you know, like you said, maybe make some necessary changes if you have to. Um, also, don't be afraid to look at yourself and say, man, I just had a bad weekend. I wasn't executing my shot good. Put that in the notes. If you made a bad shot on this one, execution-wise, make sure you, you, you put that down so you can go back and reflect. Your setup may be fine. And then, you know, you got to learn to let bad tournaments go, move on from them. It's hard, but you know, that's something over the years, man, sometimes I'd have a bad tournament. It'd really eat me up and drive me crazy. I'd be in a bad mood anymore. It's like, you know what, if you have a bad tournament, it is what it is. It wasn't your weekend. Look forward to the next one. There's another archery tournament coming up. At the end of the day, it's, you know, yeah, I hear people, you know, your sponsors still want to see you do good, but if you have a bad day, you know, if you're putting yourself in a bad mood over that, that's all you. So, you know, just learn how to, I guess move on from those experiences, but you know, learn from them as well. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, as I'm saying that, who knows what I'll be learning from um, in Coleman? But I, I mean, I'm looking at it, and I would suggest others to do the same. If I can pay place in the mid pack, uh, mid mid pack or above, that's a bonus. And you know, if yep. I can, you know, I'm looking. Okay, it's it's known, so I should be able to shoot in that two ten range. You know, and, and the biggest thing is yeah. shoot the best I can. Like, I may just not have, you You may just not have enough to compete. 
But if you didn't make any great mistakes and you shot relatively well, you can't get mad at yourself for that. It'd be like me going to play in the NBA. Uh-huh. I can't dunk, right? I can't jump. Yeah. I'm going to do my best. And and people need to understand that is go do your best, assess what went wrong, and just try and get better and have fun. If you're not having any fun, yeah. you might as well not even go. So. Absolutely. Have fun. Keep it keep it enjoyable. It's where it's miserable, and it might be time to do something else. Uh, one thing I do want to touch on, though, too, throughout the year shooting tournaments and stuff, you know, equipment maintenance. That's something that everybody probably needs to try to stay on top of. Keep your lens clean. Keep your clarifier clean. Make sure your bow is still in tune. Stuff changes over the season, you know, from, you know, just from springtime to summertime, the difference in the heat and humidity and all that. So, Constantly stay on your equipment and making sure everything's still good. Um, that's one thing I'll blame myself for before this last ASA tournament. After Kentucky, I'm looking at my string set and I'm thinking, man, I have shot a lot of arrows off that. You know, got a couple spots where you know it was fraying a little bit around my peak. You know, I've had to retime it once. You know, seeing just a little bit of movement, I thought, man, it may be time to rebuild that setup. Well, I had trying to get ready for the IBO term as well. I didn't rebuild it. I thought, man, I'll rebuild it after Illinois, get it ready for Coleman. Well, it bit me in the butt up there in Illinois. I started having a little bit of issues with some movement, stuff changing a little bit. I lost some yardage. I still was able to put together a decent round, but because of my lack of going in and jumping on that maintenance, that probably cost me being in another shoot-off. So stay on top of your equipment. You know, their machines, they need to be maintained, you know, throughout, throughout a tournament season. Same thing with your hunting bows. You know, you got to stay on top of those, too, because that stuff from season to season is going to change, and hunting bows take a lot of abuse. Now, that's good good advice, and I guess the other thing with two, the two that I see people do a lot is um, they're so scared to move something on their bow. So, like, uh, you know, if you're, you know, let's Dude, say. I'm not afraid to move something. Yeah, don't be afraid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And that's the thing, like, I'll swap out. Uh, you know, like right now I've got, I've got my, it's a super RTX 37 and I was feeling myself kind of fade out the peep a little bit. So I, uh, was like, okay. So I, I dropped the peep down, messed with my D loop a little bit, uh, you know, closed my eyes, did the blind bell thing, made sure everything was centered, went back out. And, uh, you know, I had to, I had to adjust my indicator, pretty simple stuff. I will see guys scared to do that. And it's like, guys, takes three shots at 20 to me confirm my indicator i only moved it a yard right it's not you know what i mean it's not going to take me too long or you know adjusting the sight bar in and out you know some guys are like got to have the sight bar extended all that sight bar is there for a reason and one of the main reasons that i suggest you to use it for is to marry it up perfectly to your peep sight so there's not a right or wrong with that sight bar other than it's matching your peep sight um and I think yeah, match your peep sight, and then if, if you're into torque tuning, you know you may have to move it in or out to just fine tune your your tune on that. Right, right, and I, I definitely don't want to get into torque tuning too much unless you want to sit here and go into it in great depth because that confuses people. <laughs> I had Gillingham talk about it the other day, but um, you, you will notice yeah. certain things as time goes on, whether it's your hunting bow, which I'm way more familiar with, and and that could be a simple. Um, you know, let's say you, you got a, you got a problem with hanging out at the bottom of the dot, let's say, um, you know, and, and maybe that started yeah. with a little bit of peep fade and that went to hanging at the bottom. I've noticed some guys shoot better with a side pin or a pin dropping from the top or center drilled, you know, this is hunting and, and 3d don't be afraid to change that. If yeah. you, you think something else is going to work. 
yeah, don't, don't be afraid to change stuff. Don't be afraid to try it. You know, I, I called breakdown in Illinois on the third target of the first round. I shot an eight low on the first target, a 10 on the next one. I shot another eight low. And I'm like, yeah, something's not right. I called breakdown, went to the bags, and I was in about a yard and a half lot. I don't really know exactly how I lost a yard and a half from practicing in the campground to right there, but I knew something wasn't right. So I called breakdown, I moved that sucker. I'm not, I can't continue to, to hit low and, and be too stubborn not to, not to move it and change it. Um, same thing like your peat pipe and stuff like that. Man, I've had a setup completely done, think it's ready to go, and then I go shoot around at 3D, and I'm like, you know, that peat feels like it's too high. You know, and I've got that, you know, thing really tied in really good. You really hate to take the time to mess with cutting it out, but sure, I, I'll throw it in the press, cut that stuff off, reset it, and make sure it, it, it's exactly right. So you, you can't be afraid to change that stuff. Yeah, no, for sure. So, well, man, we're we're hitting an hour, so I should probably stop sucking up your time. But, yeah. um, man, where can where can people find yeah, you? On, like, on on. Yeah, I definitely could do that. That's one <laughs> of the cool that? things about me going to the tournaments. I can go hang out and shoot shit with everybody. But where can people find you online on social media or whatever? Check out what you're doing. Um, get, get me on Instagram, um, Hacker 16 on there. Um, you get me on Facebook, uh, Chris Hacker. You can get me on my personal profile got a few friend slots left i think on that and then just give me a follow on chris hacker on my athlete page um, that's where i do most of all my archery stuff on there uh, plan i'll do a little bit more this fall as far as that stuff goes maybe some videos on some products and stuff i'm using how that stuff's working but yeah find me on there i've got a tiktok but i'm not really up on tiktok i'm doing that stuff so yeah i don't know anything about tiktok so i can't but, help you on that one <laughs> Yeah, yeah my, my wife handles some of that. So. <laughs> no, that's probably good. So, well, man, I look forward to seeing you in a, in a few weeks and, and BSing with you a little bit more. And, yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, pre- appreciate, um, uh, you know, obviously all the info and the insight. And, yeah, everybody go give him a follow, give Chris a follow. And, uh, yeah, man, I uh, appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, man, thank you for having me on. I'll see you here in a couple weeks. All right, sounds good, man. Take it easy. 